This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined as always by Alex. What's up? And our second recurring guest ever in the history of the program. We're very happy to welcome Ryan Williams back to the show. Ryan, thanks for coming back. Happy to be part of history, gentlemen. <laughs> Glad we didn't scare you away the first time. <laughs> no, not yet. You'd be um, surprised. So yeah, I mean, it happens pretty often. <laughs> Here yeah, I am. People, people tend to hear us and then run the opposite direction. Um, but, but a relatively quiet week as far as news is concerned regarding the Toffees. We had several out on international break. We had Cenk Tosin scoring two for Turkey in a 4-0 win versus Moldova. Moise Keane scored a penalty for Italy U21s after he was, of course, not called up to the senior side for the altercation or I guess being late to a uh, to a meeting. But that was a 5-0 win over Luxembourg for the Italy U21s. Gilfie scored a goal for Iceland. They lost 4-2 to Albania. Luca Dean featured for France. They won 3-0 over Andorra. Richarlison played the first half of Brazil. It's a 1-0 loss to Peru. Um, that was an, the end of a 17-match unbeaten run for Brazil. So that comes uh, to a screeching halt. I believe they conceded in the 85th minute. Atrocious. And <laughs> lastly, uh, Michael Keane and Jordan Pickford both featured for England as they won 5-3 versus Kosovo. So a lot of toffees out and about on duty yesterday and, and a few days before that. Um, exciting stuff to have so many players playing for their international sides. And it looks like we may have escaped injury-free, which is, of course, all the more important. But our first talking point of the show will be uh, Yerry Mina's fine. So he was fined by the FA 10K for violating FA betting rules. An interesting one, kind of a slap on the wrist. I'll throw it to Alex first. What do you make of the Yerry Mina fine? I think it's pretty ignorant in general because of the fact that you have multiple clubs with including ourselves uh, with betting sponsors on their shirts, right? Um, furthermore, unfortunately, the entirety of English media is centered around betting. I mean, look at Sky Sports and and, and the, the kind of stuff that they run through transfer season, for example, um, and, and then offer odds based on their own articles, essentially, right? I mean, I think you'd have to be kind of ignorant, I guess, to assume otherwise. So I think it's very stupid and it, it don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure I read that, you know, he paid or he's going to pay the 10 K and fine. And then the rest of the money that he made from the appearance in his commercial, he's going, or he is going to donate to his uh, foundation that he has founded. So um, that's always nice to hear. Everyone loves Yerry Mina, including myself. And it's just unfortunate. They have to be hypocritical about it. I think the foundation is actually for him to teach young, uh, poor, desperate Colombian kids how to dance. I could be wrong. <laughs> I've heard that. It oh, would make no. sense. It would make sense. I mean, if you saw the commercial, it is. It's quite, hilarious. It's, it's incredible. It's so like a quintessentially Colombian like stereotype, like the wigs and all the dancing. It's great. It's genius. It's a genius ad and he's a huge personality and we love him. And yeah, I mean, Alex, you hit the nail on the head. It's just bald-faced hypocrisy by the FA. Betting runs through the veins of English football 
to its core almost and and to see it kind of for them to then punish players for I guess because the FA didn't get a cut. I don't know exactly what the deal is, but it, it's bizarre. It's a strange run from American point of view. You know what I mean? Us being the you know American Toffee podcast. Um, you know what I mean? We just don't have – there is a betting culture, um, but it's nothing like over there. You know, it's such almost like a casual thing. Um, so, I, yeah, if, is FA taking a stance on this? Can you not bet? Can you get sponsored by Sports Peso, which already has its own issue? Um, I don't know. It, it's a little confusing. I mean, I think there's a lot of deep-rooted history in this one. But, look, all I care about is that he's available to play against Bournemouth, frankly. Very true, because there was that rumored, well, I guess the max punishment for infringing upon the betting rules is a lifetime ban. When that headline first came out that he was set to be punished, there was a kind of a knee-jerk reaction that that might be the case. Obviously not. Slap on the wrist, and it won't even really make too much of a difference. That's probably what one fifth, one eighth of his weekly wages. So not a big deal. And I'm glad to just put it behind. Glad he can put it behind him and glad that we can sort of move on from it. Our next bit of discussion. We just want to touch on this briefly as a friend of the program, Adam Jones of the Liverpool echo came out with an interview with Fabian Delph in which he details, um, provide some insight into the process that he went through and that Marcel Brands went through in recruiting him to join Everton. Essentially, Delph said that it was a, a full presentation. I imagine Marcel probably had the the whole nine laser pointer, PowerPoint, full projector screen, videos, tr- slide transitions, the whole nine. Strippers. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe some strippers thrown in. And just really excruciating detail how Fabian Delph would fit into our system positions he'd be expected to play. And he really hit on the value that he saw in Fabian Delph's leadership skills and how it would benefit, um, benefit Everton as a club. And as a relatively young team, we did need that kind of leadership. And I think even in the early days of, of Delph's tenure here, he's shown that, that he is a big personality on the pitch. And it's something that I think many fans has been glaringly obvious that that's something that's kind of been lacking. So I just, I just think every article that comes out that we get any kind of peek behind the curtain into Marcel Brand's backroom dealings is amazing. There's, there's yet to be an article about him that I'm not, that I don't come away with just feeling very secure in the position that where we're at as a club. What'd you guys think of when he first got signed? Like, what was your reaction? I don't remember, you know what I mean? Like uh, necessarily on Twitter and stuff, but I'm just kind of curious. I personally, I mean, I was excited about it because you know, I think a lot of City fans really downplayed the amount he brings to a squad, specifically because he was playing left back, I think, for City for the last couple of years. Yeah. It's not his strongest position, right? I mean, he's been mostly a central midfielder throughout his career, and that's where he's more more capable. Furthermore, as as minimal as it sounds, he's another left-footed player, which we do not have very many. Like, you can count on one hand, I think, the amount of left-footed players in the, in, in the squad in general – and furthermore, the leadership ability, as as we all said, um, and then it, cherry on top was the fact that we ended up selling James McCarthy for the exact same amount of money, essentially. Yeah, I, I think I think the leadership did matter. First, I kind of reacted like, "Wow, this guy's kind of older." I mean, the as, you know, of course, you know how the rumor mill works out there. I mean, even I've even written articles on this. I have my transfer analysis analysis series, which I really like because the press is just so ridiculous. Um, and, you know, people like Dell for 25 million, you know, just absurd fees were shouted out. And then when you saw the number, you figured, nah, it's not going to be that much. Brands is going to go for someone older. 
unless the, the price is right. And I think the leadership did matter. You know, at first I was thinking, geez, he's older. You know, I, I definitely thought we needed another kind of center mid slash defensive mid, give us some more flexibility. I was expecting someone like Adrian Tamizi or someone that was kind of younger, more up and coming. You know, we had some rumors linked to it, but the more and more I thought about it, and the more I looked into him, I, I really like it. I was shocked at how well he played. Uh, you know, last time out defensively, uh, Gomes too, but Delph really, um, he was a more of a defensive mid, I, you know, in Silva signed him, it sounded like he wanted, he was thinking of more as a box to box kind of a central mid. Um, but yeah, the leadership I, I think is really the difference. And you start thinking about it, you're like, yeah, that does make sense. And I love the fact that he takes care of the ball. I mean, you guys heard me last time on it. I, pounding us for being so poor, having good possession, yet just handing the ball over. His tempo is great. He's really high passing percentage. You know what I mean? His accuracy is great. And man, the leadership, you saw at the end of the match where he's flexing his muscles, basically showing everyone like, we are not conceding here. No way are we pulling an Everton. It was great. Yeah, I agree. I think upon first hearing the rumors and then the official signing, the first thing that jumped out to everyone is like, we're so accustomed because all, almost all of Brands' signings thus far have been, like you said, Ryan, young and up and coming players. Yeah. For him to kind of deter from what was the trend, I think kind of took people aback. But then you look at face value, we are a very young squad. And for $8.5 million, a player of his pedigree, who's played under Pep Guardiola for a few years now, who is versatile in where he can play, the leadership qualities, which you both touched on, it really just, it became, it made more and more sense because we did need that type of presence, especially in our midfield, which tends to uh, float in and out of games, so to speak. There's, there's moments where they're very involved and then there's large stretches where they can kind of vanish and we're left with this gaping hole in the middle of the park. He just seems like someone who's, who's totally willing to assert himself into the, into play, um, get pl- other players involved and, and retain possession. But like you said, Ryan, his defensive qualities also really stuck out to me. And I think he's just going to be the type of player. And, and a lot of people compared him to Gareth Barry, who all, we also signed from Manchester City, of course. And he's not even really that old. He's in his late 20s. He's still kind of in his peak, in his prime. I'm excited about what he has to offer the side. Whether he fits into our best 11, I don't think he does. But with in- any injuries that come up, I think he can offer a ton for the team and I'm really excited to have his presence in the locker room and on the pitch for those moments when you need to kind of bring everyone back down to earth. You know, it's funny you guys on, on the last pod with David on, uh, and I love his analysis stuff. He did a lot of your theme was, um, why do we not have success away from home? Um, maybe character has something to do with that. Uh, but it's also about tactical flexibility. I mean, I looked at, kind of went through the numbers and saw how we were, um, you know, we were like 12th in the away table last year. Um, a little unlucky, actually. It's kind of funny. Our, you know, our goal differential was only minus one away. And you had a team like Chelsea that had 10 more points than us and had a negative three. So, uh, but what you saw is you saw fading in the second half. I think I even looked into it more than that to say, Hey, are we conceding more in the second half or what's the deal? And part of that is just tactical flexibility, you know, having the ability to look if, if Siggy and Gomes are playing and, you know, we go up, I mean, do you really want both those guys out there? Maybe, maybe not. Delph gets you some flexibility. And I, I think having a bench makes a big difference, which hopefully will make a big difference too in the match this weekend. 
That's a very nice segue, Ryan. Thanks for uh, laying that up for me so nicely. That brings us very nicely to Bournemouth match preview. We head away. Um, Ryan, give us just a little bit of a quick rundown on Bournemouth summer and their their offseason, what they brought in um, as far as, and I know you've been working on, shout out Toffee Analysis, you're currently working on a match preview piece for them. Not trying to step on their toes with this pod, but we did uh, borrow some of the notes from that. So uh, yeah, just, I mean, just that'll be out um, probably tomorrow. Uh, it'll be in a little more detail. Yeah, I mean the quick opener is you look at the business they did first. Um, you know, it's funny. Two of their other big signings they have a lot of injury problems right now. So if you look at the people that they signed, um, Danjuma and Kelly are both for them big signings. You know, like seventeen, sixteen million. They're both out. Um, but Philip Billing, defensive mid for Huddersfield, I think that's something that we talked about when we were looking at replacements for Ghana. Some people brought it up. Um, he's been important to him. He's played almost every match. Uh, he's been very aggressive. Last year, their defense was bad. I mean, they conceded 70 goals last year. And now, granted, Eddie Howe teams have conceded, I think, 60 or more goals in every season since they've been up. The last year was typically bad. Um, and, uh, Billings has helped in some regards. Uh, he's also very aggressive though. I mean, the only time he got subbed was when he looked like he was going to he sent off anyway for fouling repeatedly it was on a yellow and got subbed in the 45th. Um, and so Harry Wilson's the other one and, uh, he's on loan from Liverpool. And while he doesn't, he's not that impressive, frankly, from open play, they almost run everything through the left side if they can to Ryan Frazier, who's a terrific player. But Harry Wilson has buried a couple free kicks. I don't know if you saw the one against Man City. It was amazing. Um, he's got a great left foot, and he can bury it from that side. So uh, he's helped them. I mean, God knows what would happen if he wasn't there. I mean, they have so many guys out. Um, you know, Lewis Cook's out, too. That That's an important player for them, Francis. Stanislas can play on that right side. He's out. But I think the biggest one was um, Charlie Daniels went down early. I think it was against Man City. And was unavailable for the Leicester match. And that really throws them a curveball in terms of what do they want to do? Uh, so tactically, Eddie Howe likes to play 4-4-2, at least with this side. That's how he's kind of started. Um, he's done some 4-1-4-1 stuff in the past, but he likes playing that back four. Um, you know, with Daniels out, and by the way, it is very hard to say Charlie Daniels without some sort of American-based, you know, devil went down to Georgia. Right. Uh, it's hard. Um, you know, if they want to play back four, it seems like Nathan Aki is the guy that ends up playing left back. And that brings on, um, uh, you know, Mepham, another Welsh guy, young guy playing center back. So it'll be very interesting to see what they do tactically. They played four, four, two against Leicester and Leicester eventually, um, cut it open pretty well. It's not quite how they scored, but, um, I'm hoping they play that against us. Uh, but then you saw they were actually pretty effective against Man City playing five in the back and kind of black blocking off Man City's ability to attack from width because Man City is also one of those teams and we're a little bit similar, not as good. We like to possess the ball, but we like to get it wide and fire crosses in, no question. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. So we're playing, again, you know, they're a massive counterattacking team too. I mean, that's the thing. They attack with speed, with pace, very direct, never out wide, almost right through the middle. Frazier's their danger guy. Um, and they pick off a ton of passes. I think they're first in the league in interceptions and last in tackles. So they're not very combative. They put pressure on you. They sit back, but then they do pressure out on the wings a little bit, but they're waiting for you to send the cross in and pick off a pass and turn it the other way. So it's going to be interesting to see how we do. And, and really important, I think, how Eddie Howe lines that team up. 
Yeah, and you look at their their kind of stats thus far, and they sit at 15th in the table currently. I believe they're on, what, four points? So they're 15th in the table. They're 14th in shots per game, 10th in shots on target per game, 17th in touches in the box, 18th in possession, 16th in passing accuracy. And so basically, you know, their, their place in the table reflects how they've performed thus far. They have played a, two good sides, of course, in Manchester City and Leicester. But I do think that the fact that they're such a strong counterattacking side at home could be an issue for us because that tends to be our downfall, at least from open play, which luckily thus far this season hasn't been too much of an issue. We've been actually very good at defending from open play for the most part. But we are vulnerable to getting caught out at times when our fullbacks get too far up the pitch. And I do, I mean, Ryan Fraser is an unbelievable player. I believe he was what second or third in the league in assists last season. So I think he's a real problem. And it's interesting that you bring up Nathan Aki, who was actually linked with a couple moves away this summer, but they of course slapped, I think a ridiculous 50 to 60 million price tag on his head. And therefore he stayed forcing him out of position seems kind of counterintuitive to what they want to do. But I guess when, if you do want to go with the four at the back, which I think you can kind of expect at home, right? They're not probably not going to be too defensive. I think if it if how does end up going with a five at the back, I think it, it would show maybe would. a little too much respect to Everton yep. as a side. Well, maybe it's just him growing up being an Everton fan. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe the lovely ocean breezes in Bournemouth will do him in. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I that's what I think too. I mean, you know, last time we were on, we went through predictions, and my brain was right. And my emotion, you know, and my my passion for Everton was wrong. So I'm maybe I'm just expecting the worst. But God, I think it'd be insane to play the four four two. You know, the other thing I'll, I'll say the numbers are interesting. The one thing that's very that always sticks out to me is they are not a possession based team, but for some reason they are always way up the table at getting fouled. I feel like they were second in the league last year. They were fourth this year, and so I think there's some key matchups that are really important to us, no matter what they play, really. Um, if they play the four four two, I think we maybe have more success attacking. Why do we kind of do what we want to do? But no matter what happens, I mean, you've got to contain Frazier. He's dangerous. They look on the counter. If they get halted at all, they look to distribute to him. Um, you've got to stop Callan Wilson. Callan Wilson is maybe not great necessarily in the air, but they look for him on the counter with his back to the goal. He can hold it. He can create and he flops constantly. And Keen has got to win that battle. And the last thing I want to have happen is us fouling him at the top of the box because Bournemouth will not attack with width. Even when Fraser's flying down the wing and he loves making overlapping runs, um, he's going to look to get the ball in the middle. I do not want to see Harry Wilson as much as I don't think he's that great from open play. I don't want to see him teeing up another 20 yard ball from right above the 18. I mean, that's not what we want to have happen. Uh, Wilson actually got uh, carded against Lester for diving, which I was so thrilled about. Um, yeah, but I mean, really, the key the key with them is though they're central midfielders. If Lerma and Billing play well, Lerma's Lerma's pretty good. Um, Billing is pretty inconsistent. He can give the ball away. I'm hoping the counter press is the difference for us. You know, we keep the pressure on them when we lose it up top. You know, they the, the center backs and the defensive line are kind of limited in distribution. They're looking to get it to Lerma and Billing and fire it out and take off with it. If we can go after those guys, Billing sometimes hangs on to it too long and gives it up. I mean, hopefully. That and and our boy Moise Keane. So here's the question, guys. Is Moise going to be the guy? Because I saw Jamie Vardy absolutely terrorize them 
just they couldn't deal with his speed. The second they went and ran with the counter, they are susceptible on the break back. And man, Vardy would get the ball in space. They played one over to the top to him that he made a beautiful goal on. The other one, he, he ran real wide, smart, pulled the center backs out. I'm telling you, man, Moyes Keen, if we can break back at this guy, that guy in open field, I'm dying to see Cook or Menpalm or any of those guys, uh, Smith on the right side, try and stop him. It could be very interesting. With that in mind, why don't we start at the top for lineup predictions? Maybe maybe predictions slash what you what you would 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 prefer. Obviously, Ryan, you're very partial to uh, Moyes Keen. I think, Keen. honestly, he's 90... Forward. He's the center forward from now on. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say, Jank Tosin. <laughs> He scored two goals after all on international duty, guys. I mean, he's he's ready. He's in form. Well, he also, to be fair, had an assist against Lincoln City for Alex Awobi. I think when Alex Awobi opened his account for for Everton, um, he can play a role, no question. Now, I I am very don't get me wrong. I am very partial to to Keen getting minutes and and getting himself acquainted with with the league and the pace of the league as quickly as possible and, and furthermore even just his his teammates and how they play and and building chemistry with them however i do think in general the question could be asked based on current form jank tosin seems to be in form with very minimal amount of playing time recently moise keen he's still working on getting up to speed dominic calvert lewin has not scored all season i say all season as if it's been months um so, so I think the question can be asked. So, so with both of us, well, Ryan is firmly in the Moise Keen camp. I think I'm, I'm teetering James. What do you think? Also firmly in the Moise Keen camp. We didn't pay whatever, 29, 30 million for him, for him not to play. He's the first choice at 19 years old. Yeah. It's a big burden for him to, to carry on his shoulders, but he seems the type of player who's willing to carry it. And I think from what we've seen so far, he's, just far better than either of the other alternatives. They, while they both still have something to offer the side as substitutes, I just don't see any way that two goals versus Moldova will will allow Cenk Tosin to supplant Moise Keen in the starting lineup. After he basically, you know, he's still very much getting to know everyone, like you said, Alex, developing that chemistry in a way game against Bournemouth where we're going to need his pace and power to in space and I think what he offers even more so than either of – and a lot, he offers a lot more in a lot of areas than our alternatives, but especially with the fluidity because he is oftentimes pushed out to the wing where he can do damage out there, which allows other players with Charleston to come centrally, Alex Iwobi to come centrally. So I do think that it's clear that Moise Keane is the, the first choice. And off of that, I, I think that the front three is is pretty nailed on – I think it's going to be the same that we saw before the international break. It'll be a Wobie Keen and Richarlison, barring any shock swaps by Marco Silva. Um, I don't know, Alex, do you or Ryan, do you guys see another alternative? Do you see Bernard perhaps getting a start? I do actually. Uh, the only, here's my theory. Uh, no, he probably won't start. Uh, that, but my brain says when I watch him play. If, if Bournemouth's going to come out in that 4-4-2, I think the attacking game plan, what I saw in terms of watching film and tape, Leicester did the best job of it. What I saw was that the 4-4-2, those two outside mids, come up. They put a little pressure on the fullbacks, but they're not very serious about it. And I think Frazier's the guy you need to pick on a little bit. To me, uh, or, or Frazier and, and Smith are both guys that you can pick on. I, I would say the problem with picking on Frazier on his side, you can beat him, but the last thing I want to do is give up the ball there have my right back pushed up, Seamus, 
And, you know, Richie's good at tracking back, but him and Gilfie kind of colliding on that side. I don't want to see Frazier get behind Sheamus. So if we're going to attack from the left side, I got to admit when I see the movement, you know, it's kind of a pass out wide, pull the center mid out, you know, center forward comes in there to help to run off the fullback. I mean, Bernard's really good at those one touch passes. I could see him springing Digne right down the middle. Um, and I have to admit, he probably won't do it, but when it comes later in the game, what I saw in a couple of their matches, they really started to get loose. They got tired in the second half. They have no bench. I mean, they're bringing Jordan eBay off, who looked terrified to go forward with the ball the last time he was in. is very ineffective. And Solanke, they were playing as a 10 at one point. Um, they subbed him out. I feel like for Callum Wilson last match, and I just shook your head. They weren't effective. They, they've got too many injuries. They don't have threats off the bench. I would love to see what Alex Awobi could do fresh with his ability to hold up the ball. I think he would just destroy these guys breaking back against the counter in the second half. But I think most likely we'll see him. Um, as long as he takes care of the ball and he can't hold the ball, he is a good physical matchup against you know Lerma and Billing, who are very aggressive physical guys. So it'll be interesting, but I can't imagine he'd, he'd do anything with uh, Sigurdsson or, or Richarlison, I wouldn't think. Yeah, I'd have to agree with those. I mean... I- I think it's going to be Awobi and Richarlison. However, and I've mentioned it before we talked about it, it's still kind of a question mark for me as to why Bernard got dropped in the league, not against Lincoln City, but in the league for Alex Awobi initially, because not that Everton were, were too fantastic in the first opening couple matches, but Bernard was, in my opinion, I think across the board, the best of the quote unquote front four if we're talking about the front three plus Gilfie Sigurdsson. And that's even regardless of his of his goal. So it was interesting to see that he was dropped. However, Alex Iwobi has answered the call. And that that can't really be argued in any in any way, shape, or form. So in my opinion, and and with my question about Jenk Tosin, I just I feel that if we're going to make top six, the club has to be about playing who's in form and who's performing that week. So at the moment, that's Alex Iwobi on the left, and that's Richarlison on the right, and that's who I feel comfortable with, and I'm, I'm happy with that too. And it's fantastic to have options and, and these types of headings. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, when we talked about a waveform, that's what I mean, having the option. You know what I mean? God, that's nice. You know, if you look at our bench compared to theirs, it's just absolutely no comparison. None at all. Um, absolutely not. And so let's move on to the midfield. I mean, do we expect any changes there? At this point, I mean, we're I think we're kind of – almost past the point of any wild experiments. I don't see Morgan Schneiderlin coming back in. I think based on the opposition, and this is definitely a game like we talked about with David last time, a game on paper that we need to win. And I think you have to set up with Sigurdsson, Delph, and Gomez as that midfield triangle um, to, to just try to create more offense. And we know that if you basically throw away one midfield spot to a purely defensive player, you're sacrificing a lot in the form of getting up in creating chances where Gomez and Delph are both able to do that from deep or bring the ball forward. They're both, neither of them are shy of, for, of neither of them are sh- going to shy away from carrying the ball forward. And so I think, you know, in a game that we're likely to dominate possession, it's important to have midfield players who are going to look to do something with that possession. And so I expect to see those three together again. Um, so for me, I think the lineup is, is going to be very few surprises come Sunday. Yeah, I think you know you, that combination was too good. I, I really hope we see another good defensive game by Gomes. You know, I, I think it's really important to stop the counter. 
you know, you may have to grab a hold of Ryan Frazier and kick him once or twice, you know, which he does very well. He loves to foul. Um, but it's going to be important to kind of, if they break on the counter, you know, Delph's, Delph's athleticism, I think he's, he's pretty, he's quick, certainly quicker than Morgan Schneiderlin. And there is some thought that Keen and Mean are not the flightest of foot. They could get exposed, especially if our fullbacks pull up. I think Delph's smart enough to know how they play, and especially in a way match. Yeah, I, I like that. It's got to be the combination. They were so outstanding last match, too. I, I'd be shocked if they broke it up. Absolutely agree. So the last bit, I have a question for both of you before we move into our score predictions. My question to you is, and it's been referenced a couple times already tonight, but our away form last season was terrible. As, as Ryan said, you know, 12th in the league in terms of points amassed away. Um, now, that in my opinion, is is the difference between finishing in, in, in a European spot in the table at the end of the season or not. It, it comes down to our away form and, and the lack of confidence and, and the lack of consistency up front, really up front, in terms of scoring goals. So how important is this win on the road against Bournemouth this early in the season when it comes to just just the rest of the season, how we finish in the table, looking at it, the next two away games are Burnley and Brighton. So that tells you that in terms of, of away form, over the next month and a half, we are facing teams that are going to sit back, absorb pressure, and look to counter. And Everton are going to have to be very creative and very clinical when chances come. Yeah, I can't argue with that. There's no question about it. These guys are a little different in terms of their counter. You know what I mean? It's, it's different where Villa really sat back. You know what I mean? That, God, that one really still drives me crazy. You know what I mean? Like we were just dumb you know we let them take the quick pass I mean, that's one you'd really like to have back I mean a win here would definitely atone for that I mean it's important they're all important you know what I mean when you're playing in such fine margins yeah it'd be nice to bang a couple in against these guys I mean they conceded they conceded 70 goals last year so yes I totally agree if Eddie Howe comes out and plays the 5-4-1 takes away the wide attack we could struggle I mean they're not bad you know what I mean I mean they can score they had 56 goals last year too they can hit off the break. You know, they've got athletes. Uh, they're dangerous, but I, I don't know. I mean, I honestly, though, I can't help. I look at this. I think Eddie's going to get smart on us. I don't think he's going to get reckless. I think we'll struggle to score a little bit. And I, I, I feel like they'll get one off the counter. And I hate to say it, guys. I see a one-to-one. But yes, God, we need to win this thing, man. Don't we? I mean, we got to win these types of games. This is a game on paper that we obviously need to win. And you mentioned it, Alex. It does. It's important to set the tone right, build confidence away from home in front of what will probably be a pretty raucous crowd. I don't know if Bournemouth are exactly known for their their home fans, but but regardless, this is a game where we're going to dominate possession, and this is a really good tryout for our ability to break down teams that want to be compact. And I do, like Ryan said, I do think Bournemouth probably are a bit more threatening on the counter than the teams that will play next. But I I still think that, like he said, we will struggle at times. It'll be ugly. Like we're going to have a lot of the ball and probably at times 10, 15 minute stretches, not do a whole lot with it. But it's important that we're patient, that we don't fold, that we keep our heads throughout the entire match. And towards the end, I mean, if we if we score a couple early, I think we could blow this one wide open. But I do think that Bournemouth would be very happy to, to just take a point from this match and so they're going to be set to take away the wing play. And then it just comes down to what is our, our midfield able to create. And I think with that combination of Delph and Gomez, 
we do have a pretty potent alternative plan B, so to speak, where when you throw in a purely defensive midfielder, that that becomes a much more daunting task to ask from the midfield to facilitate the creation of goals. So uh, as far as score predictions, Ryan gave his 1-1. I, I, I hate being optimistic because it usually comes back to bite us, especially yeah. in these types of games. But I just think that we have such a good lineup on paper. Things are finally getting together, coming together. In We have had a very favorable stretch of games, and that will continue for about another month, and then things start to get kind of a little more hairy, so to speak. But I think we come away with this one with a 3-1 win. Alex, we'll throw it to you. Round us out. Give us your score prediction. What do you expect? Well, when you said you were being optimistic, I didn't think you meant crazy. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. That's... <laughs> um, I think... This this may be kind of how I usually set up for fantasy, right? I, I create one I create one uh, one team and and I, I combine my heart and my head. But I'm gonna go with a two one win to Everton. I think a lot of the attacking players seem to be in form. Shout out Jenk Tosin, am there I right, go. guys? Save and uh, <laughs> uh, furthermore, Richarlison, right? Um, Awobi, I think Awobi is gonna be really important in terms of being able to break up um, a lot of the the, the deep lying. Um, the, the defensive setup that, that Bournemouth are going to have. And furthermore, he's really good in tight spaces with his technical ability, which I kind of tried to highlight um, last episode or maybe episode previous. So he might be, in my opinion, one of the key players to look at. But otherwise, I'm going to go with a 2-1 win. And uh, Ryan, I sure hope I mean, you're look, wrong. if we're patient, if Bournemouth comes out and attacks, like I, I think they probably will. Like, as much as I, I mean, who knows, if we're patient, if we don't just hand them the ball and have them pick the ball off like crazy in the center mid and turn it around on us. We'll be fine. I mean, we should be able to break these guys down. I, I really hope the counter the counter press is what gets them. You know, I really hope we lose the ball. We're still aggressive. We get on them. I mean, it's a different team. If we want to win away, we got to take advantage of our depth. This Bournemouth team has injuries all over the place. They're going to be pushed to put a center back out left. I mean, they are not in the best form. They actually look good against City. Guys, we've got we've got to take it to these guys. But again, my brain is overruling my heart. What can I say? Sad. It's pathetic. I'm very much looking forward to pulling my hair out Sunday around the 60-minute mark when it's sitting at nil-nil, and we've had 20 shots on goal, or 20 shots with two on target, and we're really just kind of scrambling, and and Marco Silva has to whip something up, probably throwing on Theo Walcott or something along those lines to try to break the deadlock. But we gave our score predictions – we really appreciate Ryan coming on to give us his insight into Bournemouth. Really insightful stuff. And uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Post-match, we'll just leave it at that. And until next time, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.